Good morning. All right. I'm glad that you guys showed up, even though Rob Roberts is in this class today. So we, I grew up with Rob and Tina, known them since I was four. And uh, my parents and Rob and Tina are best friends. So uh, I lived across the street from them in high school and uh, love Rob and Tina to death. So that's very, very nice to get to teach in your class today. Uh, take your Bible, turn to the book of Jonah. As you're turning there, my family's over here to my right, your left. And so my girls said they wanted to come and hear Daddy teach instead of going to their classes today. So that was really sweet. Uh, they were used to hearing me preach for years. I was pastoring churches along the East Coast for about 13 years and uh, so it's been an adjustment for me coming back home to Prestonwood and um, and not preaching every week. So if this comes across as more of a sermon than a Kirby Anderson teaching, then uh, forgive me for falling back into the, the old habits, but they die hard. All right, I want to pray and then we'll get into the word of God together. Lord, we're grateful for the opportunity to dive into... Uh, This minor prophet book, Jonah, we pray that you would speak into our lives. I pray, Lord, for every person here today who needs a fresh word uh, from the scriptures that, Lord, you would just speak into them. We pray for those in here today who are discouraged, that you would encourage them. And please have us leave here feeling fresh in our walk with you. Lastly, Lord, we pray for our pastor as he's... Uh, about to deliver another message uh, in the 11 o'clock service. We pray for uh, for that service to go well. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I wish I had the time for us to walk around the room and just hear different people describe what you think when you hear Jonah. I'm sure some of you would say it's a whale of a tail. Some of you would say it's about a guy who spent the night on a foam blubber mattress uh, he was then vomited up upon the dry land by an appointed fish, and then he went and he preached the word of God. That's only part of the story of Jonah. The story of Jonah is the story of your life. It's the story of my life. It's what I love about it. There are four chapters, 48 verses, and in this minor prophet book with a major impact, I think that we can see through each chapter how it relates to our lives a whole lot. Before we get into the text, though, I do want to answer one glaring question that I have when I think about Jonah, and it's this. What exactly swallowed Jonah? Well, I'm interested to hear your thoughts. What do you think swallowed Jonah? I've heard fish, I've heard whale. I'm curious what you think. No, he was swallowed by some sort of a fish. I'm not. Uh, in Jonah 1.17, if we could throw that verse up here, I, I'm interested to see Jonah once, or am I controlling it? Oh, Okay. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. So in Jonah 117, it uses the words great 
fish. And in Matthew 12:40, Jesus says that just as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. So we have an Old and a New Testament perspective of what swallowed Jonah. Let's think about what the original language says. In Jonah 1.17 in the Hebrew, it uses the Hebrew words dog gadol. Everybody say dog gadol. Dog gadol. Oh, you Hebrew scholars, look at that. I love it. Uh, dog gadol means uh, sea creature or, excuse me, it means great fish or large fish. Matthew 12.40, it uses the Greek word ketus, which means sea creature or sea monster. So we know it was a sea creature, sea monster, huge fish, large fish, something like that. Now, very practically, we know that it says at the end of Jonah 1 that the Lord appointed this fish. So whatever it was, it was appointed by God. I'm very curious about it because if it was a whale, we know that the whale has a very small gullet. So God could have done some sort of esophageal stretch. I don't know. More naturally, it would have been a shark. I believe it was a shark that swallowed Jonah. Ultimately, it really doesn't matter what it was. We know it was some big honking fish in the sea, right? But I know that those of us who grew up in church, uh, we saw on the felt board the big whale. You're smiling. I can see that some of you have done this. So we know that it was some sort of a big fish. Now, I do want to address one other thing before we just start marching verse by verse through the text. And you really do need to have your Bible with you. Or if you don't have a Bible with you, open up your phone or your tablet or some device because we're going to be... Not just depending upon the screens up here, because I'm just going to march throughout all 48 verses. It would have been a lot to put up on the screens. Uh, But the question of did this really happen or is this a parable, something like that? No, the story of Jonah is neither parabolic nor is it hyperbolic. It literally happened, okay? This is a real story. How do we know that? There's no mention of it being a parable anywhere. It's mentioned as historical fact by Jesus in Matthew 12:40, as you can see. Uh, he had already done a great work for God, according to 2 Kings 14:25. We know the scope of his ministry. We know the name of his dad, Amittai. And it was mentioned as historical fact over and over and over. So all that being some background to it, let's dive into the text. Look at Jonah 1, beginning in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah, verse 3, rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. 
Here in this first chapter, and you can see it even in the first three verses, that Jonah was running from God. That's point number one if you're taking notes. Running from God. Can I ask you something? Have you ever run from God in your life? Of course, we all have. Some of us may have been in different seasons of running from God for longer periods of time. But Jonah was running from God here. And you might wonder, well, why? I mean, it says right here in verse 2 that this was a great city. Why would, why would you not want to go to a great city? Well, it wasn't great as in it was awesome. It was great in a couple of different ways. Three different ways, in fact. It was great in enormity. We know that it was three days' journey in breadth, according to Jonah 3. It was great in iniquity. It was an extremely evil city. Uh, we know that abortion was invented by the Ninevites. They would have stacks of human skulls shaped in a pyramid at the entrance to this Assyrian capital of Nineveh. Basically, it's a sign that you don't mess around with the Ninevites. So it was great in enormity, it was great in iniquity, it was also great in antiquity. It was an extremely antiquitous city. That means that it was old. It had been around for a long, long time. So Jonah didn't want to go to this place, and he, in verse 3, rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, and he paid the fare... It costs a price when we sin. I'm surprised there was no amen there, because I think we can all admit, man, I'm, I feel bad about the, the prices that I've had to pay for sins that I've committed. I mean, can you relate to that? To go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And in verse 4, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. There was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But what was Jonah doing in the middle of verse 5? What some of you are doing right now. Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, the end of verse 5, and he had lain down and was fast asleep. Do you know the only other time that that specific Hebrew word for sleep was used is in Genesis chapter 2. Which, by the way, is there a nurse anesthetist in here? Okay, you got one. Did you know that God played the role of a nurse anesthetist in Genesis chapter 2? He put Adam to sleep. Then the rib was taken and formed Eve, right? What kind of sleep are you in when you're in surgery? A deep hypnotic sleep, right? That exact word that was used in reference to Adam's surgery 
was used in reference to the way Jonah was sleeping inside the belly of the ship. Before he was in the belly of the fish, he was in the belly of the ship, the inner part of the ship. And when he was in there, he was fast asleep. Now, why do I point that out? Why am I dragging this out? Here's why. Have you noticed that when you are living in sin, at first, when you first start to commit some sin, you have a hard time going to sleep. You feel guilty. You struggle with it. You look in the mirror and you look at yourself and you think about it. But after you've lived in that sin for a while, you can sleep like a baby. This means that Jonah was not just uh, engaging in some sin. He was running from God. And he had grown comfortable in that. Can I encourage you today, if you're running from God and you've grown comfortable in that, that you would just see the need for repentance in your life and follow the lead that Jonah gives later on in our text. So there was this big tempest on the sea, right? Verse 6, the captain came and said to Jonah, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. So they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, another word for throwing dice. That's how they would determine who was at fault for the tempest on the sea. That we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah at the end of verse 7. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they start the grand inquisition right here. Alright? Tell us on whose account this comes. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? Of what people are you? And I want you to notice in verses 9 and 10, Jonah had to have gone to a great life group. Verses 9 and 10, Jonah was answering everything with proper orthodoxy. Just look at these verses. Jonah said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. See, Jonah had proper orthodoxy, but he didn't have proper orthopraxy. He knew the proper answers, but he wasn't living them out. And for those of us who might have been in church for a while... And I know not everybody in here is in that category, but for those of you who've been in church for a while, I know that you know the right answers. But the question is, are you living out what the scripture teaches? So verse 10, the men 
were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So for the sake of time, I'll skip over some of this, but they threw Jonah into the sea is what happened. They threw him into the sea, and then the tempest on the sea stopped. No more storm. Fantastic. So, that leads us to the second point. Point number one, Jonah was running from God. Point two, Jonah ran right into God. Running into God. And that's what happened from Jonah 1.17 through all the end of chapter 2, which is verse 10. What's amazing here is it says in verse 17... The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And those of you who have the English Standard Version, I'm interested to know, what is the first word in Jonah 2.1? Then. Then Jonah prayed. So he's in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed. Y'all, it wouldn't have taken me that long. (laughs) Can you imagine? The entirety of chapter 2 is a prayer that Jonah voices. And he is crying out from the depths of Sheol, is what it says. That's his hellish experience. That he has. You ever felt like you were going through hell? The prophet Jonah can relate. Better yet, the Lord Jesus can relate. In this text, he's crying out to God. And then finally, in verse 10, the Lord spoke to that fish... And it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So Jonah was running from God. Then Jonah ran right into God. And then in the third chapter, this is the sweet spot of the text. Jonah was running with God. Running with God. Look at Jonah 3 verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Aren't you grateful that we worship the God of the second chance? I'm going to say that again. I didn't get enough amens on that. They teach you in seminary that if you didn't earn the amen, then you didn't deserve it. Like, you're not supposed to ask for it. I always ignored that part of class. Aren't you grateful we worship the God of the second chance? We do. So, the Lord said, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose in verse 3 of Jonah chapter 3. He went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey, and he called out, 
And this is the, the latter half of chapter 4 of chapter, or, or, or of verse 4 of chapter 3, the latter half of it, is the entire sermon that he preached. Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. What's wonderful about that is that he was preaching the word of God. That's the word that God gave him to preach. May not be popular, but he wasn't preaching about the existential value of whale blubber. He wasn't preaching about the nutritional facts of seaweed. He was preaching the word of God, even though it wasn't popular. In an extremely iniquitous place, he was preaching the word of God. And so some fruit came from his labor. Verse 5, the people of Nineveh believed God. And they called for a fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. I want you to imagine the most evil cities just in America. I mean, think about... We know about Las Vegas and New Orleans and some of these places that have strange things that happen. But I mean, think about all the murders that happen in Chicago. Can you imagine if the mayor there, Lori Lightfoot, if she just broke out in revival and then all these people started getting saved from the greatest of them to the least of them? Can you imagine what would happen? Can you imagine what would happen if right here in Dallas... If we just saw the most evil people in Dallas become the most godly people and a revival broke out. That's what happened here. Even in verse 6, this is really cool, Jonah 3, 6. The word reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne. Then he removed his robe, he covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. Then he issued a proclamation and published it through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them feed, not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way, away from the violence in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. What an amazing testimony from the king of Nineveh. And in verse 10, it shows us something really fascinating from a theological perspective. It shows us that God has the propensity to change his mind based upon our prayer and fasting. Just look at verse 10. Jonah 3.10 When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. That's an amazing 
testimony of God's grace. So in chapter 1, you can see somebody is running from God. And I've just got to ask you, are you running from God in your life today? Chapter 2, he was running into God. And as a result, he was going through a hellish experience. Chapter 3, he was running with God. And that's the sweet spot of your walk with the Lord. Where you're preaching the word of God, you're teaching the gospel, you're leading people to to Christ in our situation or to, to Yahweh the Lord in the Old Testament and prophet Jonah's situation. I wish it ended right there, but it doesn't. Because in Jonah 4, after that big revival, it says in verse 1 that it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. You might say, well, why would it displease Jonah? To put it bluntly, He hated the Ninevites. He allowed his bigotry to supersede his theology. And he had such bitterness in his heart against people who weren't from the same place he was from and looked the exact same that he looked. And in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 4, he starts to just talk about himself a whole lot. In fact, there are eight personal pronouns in Jonah 4, 2 and 3. I, 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 me, me, me. I had a little party this afternoon at 3. There were three guests involved. Three guests in all. I, myself, and me. I mean, this guy was all about himself. To quote the great Cowboys wide receiver Terrell Owens, I love me some me. You know, that is exactly what he thought about. Look at verses 2 and 3. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He was trying to run God. And that's the fourth and last point this morning. Trying to run God. Trying to tell God what he should do. And this is a point that's particularly applicable to people who've been Christians for a while. Because after a while, you can start to just nitpick anything. Well, God, you shouldn't have sent revival to Nineveh. You should have done something else. And then you can see a big pity party that happens here in the remainder of the fourth chapter. It's really weird that right after a revival comes, he sets up a tent for himself on the east side of the city of Nineveh. He sits under a plant that withers and goes away. And then this really ends in a strange way even. There are only two uh, books, out out of the 66 books in the Bible, only two of them end in a question mark. 
And I think the other one is Nahum. It's either Ezra or Nahum. Some of you are starting to turn your Bible right now. Don't do that, please. And then the book of Jonah. And Jonah ends in verse 11 by saying, Should not I pity Nineveh? By the way, this is I'm going to point out a theological uh, nugget that's going to, I, I think it's going to bless you here in a second. Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? This right here, Jonah 4.11, is a great verse for those of you who have struggled with the thought of the condition or the age of accountability. In a room of this size, I guarantee that some of you ladies in here today have had a miscarriage. And you've wondered, am I ever going to see that baby again? And the answer is yes. And one of the reasons why you can say yes with biblical affirmation is because in Jonah 4.11, it says that God has mercy on people who don't know their right hand from their left hand. God has mercy on people who don't understand the basics of what a right hand is and what a left hand is. Our God is merciful. So that is a great little theological truth for something very big in so many lives. I hope that encourages you today. So no matter which direction it is that you're running, if you're running from God, if you've run right into God, if you're running with God, or if you're trying to run God, I hope that this uh, unpacking of these 48 verses has helped you today to draw closer to the Lord. Thanks for letting me teach today.